What's yeah. your relationship with Dwayne today? I just got selfish and wanted a, a main event marquee match because it would better what I thought was the business. And that's so sh short-sighted and selfish. It worked. <laughs> but we, th it worked at the cost of two people who communicated and almost put it in jeopardy. And there was a moment where there was a lot of bad vibes between us. Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, we're live at the 92nd Street Y with John Cena. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, you're amazing. I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to a live taping of my podcast. I love doing these here in New York City with these great crowds. Uh, if you're watching us uh, on YouTube or live or however you're doing it, thank you so much. Remember to subscribe and spread the good word. Um, shall we talk about our amazing guest tonight, guys? Yeah. Uh, let's go down the list of accomplishments. It's almost annoying. He's an action star. He's a comedy star. He's a wrestling icon. He was literally singing and playing the piano backstage. I'm not lying to you. Amazingly well. <laughs> he loves a three-piece suit. He's starring in the ginormous, as you just saw from that trailer, you get your money's worth with Fast 10. Um, this man can literally do it all. We're going to get into all aspects of his career tonight, I want you to give a warm welcome to repeat Happy, Sad, Confused guest, Mr. John Cena. Here he comes. How are you? How are you? Thank you for having me, sir. The lights are on bright. All right. Uh. Good evening, everyone. This just turned into a... <laughs> uh, for those of you who are here for the movie business, this is what a WWE event is like. Yes. So, I love it. We brought some WWE fans tonight. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Greatly appreciate it. we got a nice uh, venue. we got a nice intimate crowd. So uh, hopefully we can have a wonderful personal conversation and maybe something that uh, makes you uh, laugh, cry, and think. So let's have some fun. Let's go. Do it. Um... Congratulations, man, on all aspects of the career, but primarily, let's, let's, let's start by just saying it. Um, this new movie is bonkers in the best possible way. Fast 10, the 10th in the, in the Fast Saga. We were just, I had the privilege of visiting this world premiere in Rome. Just came from Rome. I mean, that's, that, you, gotta, you gotta drop that when you have the opportunity, right? Yeah, they had a premiere at the Colosseum. So talk to me a little bit about that, okay. We were talking backstage about this. Like that, like you've been part of a lot of surreal moments in your career. Yep. What's it like to be in that environment? Are you soaking it all up? What was it like for you? It makes them all look real. <laughs> like, uh, as you saw in the trailer, Fast does not do anything small. And they are not afraid to throw some money at stuff. <laughs> so a typical premiere event, uh, Geography really doesn't matter. You, you put your branding in the back, you have a red carpet out there, and it could be anywhere. And then you show everybody the movie. And then there's Fast, who <laughs> rents the Roman Colosseum. <laughs> and doesn't put any branding, just brings the first 25 people in the cast. So 25 of the main performers show up. And then the backdrop is the Roman Colosseum. 
and you're just supposed to know what's up because it's fast. <laughs> it is, uh, it's so surreal, it makes anything else look attainable. It's fast as in its own universe. Yeah. And by watching the movie, like, the special effects are surreal, the stunts they pull off are surreal. The movie is certainly about taking the visual experience to new heights. But at its core, it's, as Dom Toretto would say, a film about family. So, right on. So before we, we dive into to Fast a little bit, I do want to talk a little bit more about kind of like that kind of venue, that kind of moment, because it strikes me, I would imagine in your career, you've probably played all manners of venues, right? Does it take you back to like, what's the most absurd, I don't know, grounded moment, like places that you've had to pl play as a wrestler way back when? I will say, that one was a very grounding moment. Because <laughs> I took a look around this big, wonderful stadium, and I thought, I always think when I see a venue, we, I walked out here when there was no one here to look at the venue and be like, wow, this is nice and intimate. This reminds me of Westchester. Like, I used to love uh, Westchester County because, like, the people are on top of you and you can really connect to them. So I'm looking at the Coliseum going, Thank God I never had to perform there because it wasn't about making the next town, it was about seeing the next day. Because I can have a bad match, but if you perform in the Coliseum and you do bad, you don't make it out of the room. So that was the surreal moment of like, yo, this is, I'm so glad I never had to go there. It's what a, what a time to be around and alive. Yeah. Did you, okay, so I, I know that working with the crowd, and the crowd is a part of your performance throughout your career in different ways. Did you always have that? Like, when you were a kid, did you ever perform in front of a crowd and realize there was some energy exchange there that you wanted to pursue? Like, when did you discover that? Man, I don't know. Uh, my, my parents would be so much better to ask than that. I just do know that um, I, I enjoy energy, and I enjoy people's energy and I enjoy when they're passionate. And I think that's what allowed me to go through a long period of my sports entertainment career with a lot of folks saying, man, I like you. And a lot of folks saying, I don't. <laughs> and being just as enthusiastic with whichever megaphone they're, they're speaking through. I just always have loved the energy and the unpredictable excitement of an audience. And did you know immediately, early in that sports entertainment part of your life, that it was an exchange, that it was, that you could change your performance within those parameters based on how the crowd was reacting, like that you had to kind of feed off of them and go left or go right, metaphorically, depending on what they were giving you? Uh, yes, and I think that's what makes WWE one of the most entertaining experiences to go to. And once you go to it, you connect to people, and then you're kind of, you're hooked, you can't turn it off, but um, it's very different than film, and it took me a while to switch those nuances, because I'm, you know, the lights are this bright, and I can barely see, I'm blind anyway, I can barely see you guys out there, <laughs> but I'm not used to that. I'm used to seeing people in the second deck or the mezzanine, and I can point, and I can connect with people, and we can share moments, and they can curate their energy and kind of tell me what to do. Uh, film is, is very different than that. Um, there's a lot of parallels between the two industries, but I've always, it's, there's nothing like being out there. There's nothing like, film is awesome, and man, there's nothing better than having a great film, because you know it's not just you, it's such a collective body of work, but there's also no energy like walking out in, in front of the madness. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awesome, <laughs> it's awesome. 
So, okay, we'll, we'll get to, the, to the, that transition in that part of your career, but let's talk a little more fast. Um, this is obviously your second go-around in the franchise. Um, how did it happen in the first place? Is that a, a phone call from Vin? Is that, like... So I don't know what led to the meeting, but, bless you. Uh, <laughs> that's all I gotta do to get a laugh. <laughs> bless you too. I don't know. I mean, he would have been a jerk not to say bless you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, got a notification that Vin wanted to get together, and I said, of, of course, sure. It wasn't about the movie. It was just like, well, Vin Diesel wants to meet you. And I don't, that, those things don't happen often <laughs> to me. So I said yes, and I met him at like his uh, like Toretto Dojo, which is where he like trains, and he's got the black charger there, and Fast and Furious is on the walls, and this place was like crazy. <laughs> And I'm there, and then in comes Vin, and it's, it's true, like, Vin Diesel, Dom Toretto. And it was, uh, it was surreal. And, and Vin actually posted live after we met. Like, so we meet, and we talk about, like, life, philosophy, nothing about the movie. It's almost just like we're sizing each other up, but I have no reason to size him up, so <laughs> I guess I'm just getting sized up and hope not to get punched in the face. Um, so then he just goes live on Instagram, and he has like 60 million followers. So it's pretty much like, okay, kid, you're on. And I look like he's really going off, kind of inviting me into the movie, and I've never, I haven't been given a formal job yet by anyone at Universal, but I'm in the movie apparently because I have Vin Diesel's blessing. I don't say a thing in the video, and this exists, it's on his feed, you can go back and watch it. I'm sitting in the corner like. <laughs> and Has the role been mentioned, like what you're, who you're gonna play? No, all this is happening live. <laughs> like we are, they have like a tense, conversation and then it gets deep and, and philosophical and I love those conversations. I love really getting to like what makes people tick and, and learning from them. So we had like this great moment and I'm me, I show up in a three-piece suit, he's in a sleeveless shirt and Dom Toretto <laughs> jeans and sunglasses and I'm like this is, I, I it must be in the wrong place. There's no way this is going to go any further than this but we actually really connected and through that he made the video and kind of announced to the world that I would be in the franchise, and then later, I had another meeting with him where he's like, you're not just in, you're a Toretto. And me being a fan of the franchise, that, uh, we've got a lot of uh, WWE folks here, it would be like, you're not just in, you're the champion. Like you get to be immediately on the winning team, and you get to immediately get latched on to whatever mystique the franchise has. To me, I grew up with the film, so wearing the Toretto cross, I try to take one for myself. They guard that thing like the nuclear football. <laughs> that was like, I've never steal props and I wanted to take a Toretto cross, but they, they won't let you take it. One of these days, hopefully I can, I can grab it. <laughs> but it was just a series of meetings with Vin and it says a lot. And, and the cool thing is like, when we talked about F9, I was all like, you guys don't understand. This is, it's like a family, like they really get together and like, we have drinks and talk about family issues and stuff like that, and that's real. And I know that. And this year, I got to see Bree and Daniela go like, you guys don't understand, it's family, and we like really get together. <laughs> so I got to live it, and then I got to see it, 
And I also know that it wasn't, they weren't just doing it for me. Right. It is how it is done. Like, they live those movies. Danielle, Danielle said it best. They don't do the movie for 20 years. They live the movie for 20 years. And I, my heart loves that because that's how I operate in WWE. Right. I don't just do WWE. I, I live it. I love it. And to see a group of individuals, like the OGs, they call them, with that amount of passion for what they do, we are watching the same channel. It's beautiful to see. I, I will say, everything you just said about that story, it's maybe my favorite casting story I've ever heard, A, and it's also <laughs> everything I love about Vin Diesel, because he is just, just so unique in every no, possible way. No, he's unique, way. but he's so great, like, and he's yeah. so full of love. Yeah. Like, it's crazy how, I, he's a great friend. I consider him a great friend. And we reach out to each other with no agenda with no quid pro quo, no what can I do for you. Like, we really check in on each other. And that's what real friends do. And like, man, he's, he's just so, like, he's such a nice guy. <laughs> so I don't think it reveals too much. You can tell from the trailer um, that your character has gone through some changes since F9. I mean, we even saw it in F9, like where Jacob started and where he ended up were two significantly different places. And it's kind of a fast tradition. We were yeah. talking backstage. Start bad out. guys don't always start uh, stay bad. Yeah. Yes. So um, you're kind of in an interesting, th th this film is epic, it's gigantic, and there are kind of all, some different storylines going on, and yours is a really fun one. Um, were you surprised by where you saw Jacob in this one? Uh, you're kind of like in a bit of a action comedy road trip movie that I kind of uh, am obsessed with. No, I love that, yeah. and, and uh, I love to be able to do that when, see, I. I'm so, so sorry. Uh, I relate everything to my life in WWE because it's like, that's what I'm most, but that's what I'm most fluent in. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm most fluent in. And if you look at a WWE show in its totality, you have like the opening match and then the second match and then maybe a tag team match and then a championship match and then like a stipulation, like a cage match and then you go to break and then you have the, the match that comes back from intermission, the semi-main event and the, the marquee match and each the story or the, the purpose of each match is to give a different perspective. Right. And Fast 10 is like a WWE show because they finally split the family up, they fragment the family, and each member of the family has to go on their own journey. So it's like seven mini movies in one movie that come racing to this explosion of a crescendo that just leaves you on the edge of your seat and wanting more. And the cool thing was my purpose, my match, was like the comedy match. I was like the Santino Morella, <laughs> you know? So I really loved those moments because I got to have fun with a gifted young person. Leo was great. And there's no like macho edge because it's a nine-year-old like putting me in my place and kind of like putting me through therapy as well. Like it's, it's such a cool yeah. dynamic and it gives the audience a chance to take a breath in between a charger driving down the Hoover Dam, like <laughs> so it, there's a lot of that and every once in a while you need to just take a break from the action and breathe for a second and I loved being that, like th that lighter side of the movie. I'm not sure if I would call the clip you're about to see uh, an exhale, like it's, it's still some significant action. Like I said, it screams towards the crescendo. Right, this is a getting towards the crescendo. Um, here's a clip from um, Fast 10, shall we mm. take a look? Yeah, the white chill moments of the film. Like we said, yeah. that's the cool, the, that's the really excellent. 
It's like you're in a Mad Max movie in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did see an El Camino with four howitzer cannons strapped to it somehow. Yeah, that's not too, but that, that's, that's what, that happens when it needs to happen. Yeah. There's a lot that leads up to that moment. And the, the dialogue between myself and Little B is a payoff from a scene earlier in the movie, which is also pretty cool. And what I like about a scene like that is normally in a fast scenario, you're in the car alone, I would arm the cannon myself and then I would fire the cannon. But I love that this big Uncle Muscles, as Jason Momoa so kindly dubbed me, <laughs> works hand in hand with this brilliant nine-year-old where it's like, I'll load, you fire, let's work as a team to get through this. And they high five at the end and his hand is like this big in my <laughs> hand. And it just is really a, like that wonderful, happy moment that you want to root for these people going on this crazy adventure, crazy road trip, you know? Let me set the scene for you guys, okay? We've all been here. You're trying to find a cause for your symptoms. It could be anything. It could be that bump or bruise. It could be that itch. What is it? What's the deal? So you go down that TikTok rabbit hole full of questionable advice from so-called experts. Well, there are better ways to get the answers you want, guys, and the care you deserve from trusted professionals and not, frankly, random people on the internet. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience that you want and indeed deserve. No more Dr. Roulette scouring the internet for questionable reviews with ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and their schedule just right. So go to ZocDoc.com happysad and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com, Z-O-C-D-O-C.com, slash happy sad. ZocDoc.com, slash happy sad. The ensemble is, is amazing, as you mentioned. Yeah, now we've got Brie Larson in there, too. And I, I, I do want to mention one thing. I mean, there, there have been rumors and talks uh, over the years, and you're in a unique position to address this because you have relationships with both gentlemen, mm -hmm. Mr. Vin Diesel yeah. and Mr. Dwayne Johnson. Yes. Now, if and when they come back together, could you be the peacemaker? I mean, to quote another role. <laughs> I just want to get this right, because what I'm hearing is, uh, Two gentlemen who are incredibly well known throughout the world, possibly in a universe, might want to share the screen together one day, and you're asking if I could be Peacemaker? <laughs> yeah, I think I can swing that. <laughs> yeah. I like how you worded that. I saw what you did there. Didn't even mean it, but um, yes, I would love nothing more. Um, the, look, there's been a lot made over the years uh, about your relationship with Dwayne for obvious reasons. What's the, you guys are good now, right? Like, just to clarify, you guys are... <laughs> what is the relationship with... I'm, I'm so old. <laughs> I haven't won a match in like five years, man. <laughs> and no one notices, thank you, but it's, if you check the stats, I'm on a bit of a slump. <laughs> You're due. He, he's not exactly an easy opponent. I need to get somebody really easy to get a win on the board before I go knocking on the rock store again. 
uh, you were saying. What's your relationship with Dwayne today? So you, I, I would like to think, in my perspective, that we always have been good, except for one little patch <laughs> where I really messed up. I got selfish, and me being living WWE at the point and, and not having any concept of, of growth or uh, someone else's perspective, I took Dwayne's comments as uh, not genuine. And my view was, if you love something, be there every day. Right. What a hypocrite I am, because I still love WWE, and I can't go all the time. And I just didn't see that. I was so selfish. So I, instead of, and I had his number, and like we could have talked about it, instead of going like, hey man, I'd like to try to do this thing to hook you back in, and maybe we can collaborate and really make it big. I was just like, F this, I'm just calling this dude out. This is, this is a moment, he gave me an opening, I'm gonna kick the door in. And it, I was diligent, and I understand why he got upset. Because he's changing the perception of the industry. Him, Dave Batista, they've, like, they've made it okay to be in WWE. WWE has had that like carnival performer stereotype and pro wrestlers have had that like carny stereotype for so long. And these guys are breaking down barriers and shattering ceilings and on top of that, just transcending the art form. And I just got selfish and wanted a, a main event marquee match because it would better what I thought was the business. And that's so sh short-sighted and selfish. It worked. <laughs> But we, it worked at the cost of two people who communicated and almost put it in jeopardy. And there was a moment where there was a lot of bad vibes between us, and rightfully so, because Dwayne came back, and he wanted to give to the business openly and as what he could. He, like, he's, he has a great perception of WWE and understands that you build equity, you go something else, and you pass the torch. You give away all of your electricity, as he would say. And he was trying to do that on his own terms, and I wasn't having any of it. And we made some great TV, uh, so much so as that one dude wants to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was almost at the cost of our friendship, which I would like to say now is in a really good place. How hard was it to rebuild that friendship? Well, I think, I think step one of any conflict is to somehow find your fault, it's my fault. And I knew exactly what I was doing. And I also knew that I had to punch up to his level. He came in in a league of his own. And to make sure that it's like Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, I gotta be Mike Tyson. And Rock was like Ali, and I was like some scrub, like Glass Joe from Punch Out. You know, like I had, <laughs> I had to punch my way up. And I had to do it by really, really blurring the lines of collaborative work, which is like, if we're in the WWE and we have a match, I assume that we're gonna perform, just like stunts in a movie, and our concern is to safely do the show, that's the magic, and the magic is to be able to do it again and again and again, and you trust your performer. Nothing's different when you verbally have issues with each other. It's all in good fun, and it's all for the business, but you're supposed to have trust with each other, and I violated his trust. And as soon as the event in Miami was over, and I think then, and I'm thinking for Dwayne, but I can only think then his perspective began to, to be like, whoa, he, 
First of all, I lost. I finished second. <laughs> well, oh, okay. And, and second of all, I tried to lose with as much humility as possible. There's an iconic shot of me on one knee just with the WrestleMania garb around me and me with the worst look on my face like I just lost the biggest moment of my life, which I did. And then right after that, the first thing I did was went to, I went to Dwayne's mom and I gave her a big hug and I said, I know you were brought up in this business. I hope you can understand my perspective because I said some bad things to make you feel bad about me. And I said some bad things about your son. And I hope with what you just saw in our performance, you understand that my goal was simply to sell tickets and do business. And she forgave me right there. And then as soon as the, that embrace broke, it was right at Rock's dressing room and I went right into Rock and I said the exact same thing. And it's only when we started the build up for New York that I got to look at myself in the mirror deeper and was like, I was wrong. Not only did I hope he understand my perspective, but a year later I knew that my perspective was wrong. And yes, it worked, and yes, we sold tickets, and yes, people loved it, and they chose sides, and it was a real polarizing event. We could have done that with everybody working together and playing nice, and that's, that was my fault. I, th I think the most important word in there that you mentioned is humility, and you've talked a lot, like I, I, our previous conversations, and I've heard you talk about, safe to say you've learned more from failure and missteps even than successes in your life and career. I think that's, that's a pretty good perspective of life. I, uh, I encourage failure. That's why I was, that's why I played the piano in there. Not because I can play. No, I'm for real. So you're laughing because you heard me play. <laughs> no. Um, I'm trying to learn to play the piano. And when I say trying to learn, I'm at a, at, thank you very much. One. <laughs> that's how. Uh, I started, I'm 46. I started when I was 40. There's a lot of waiting on movie sets, so I figured I'd get a keyboard, and in between the waiting, I'd try to learn to play piano. And every day, I'm better than I was yesterday. Still not any good by the standard of people who play on a stage like this, but I'm better than I was yesterday. And every time I see a piano in public, I have, don't take this out of context, please. My wife is, <laughs> my wife is here, let's keep it respectable. I have performance anxiety. <laughs> the joke sank in, that was good. <laughs> Uh, but I have a serious thing about playing in front of people. My hands start to shake, I start to sweat, I can feel my pulse, I can't slow it down, I can't find my calm, and I can practice alone. I'm like, man, I'm kind of learning this. And then I know a person is around and I just freeze up. And the reason I started to play piano and one of my, one of my reach goals is to try to just classically sit down with that single malt on the keyboard and be like, hey guys, how are you tonight? <laughs> And just kind of, you know, play so you can hear me, but you can't hear me, and then just be like, all right, that's it, see you later. So I have to get over that fear. And that's me trying to get over that fear. Right. And that wasn't perfect, I failed. I didn't play to the standard that I see in my head. But I also was better than I, I was the last time I did that in public, and the last time I played a piano that was just randomly there. So like, of course you learn from failure. You don't, you don't learn much from success at all. And it is, it's a constant for all of us, obviously, but like you put, you put yourself in this position over and over, and it's kind of fascinating. I mean, as we start to talk about the film career, um, you know, the early work comes out of the wrestling career and dictated yep. a lot by the wrestling career, WWE. And again, safe to say you learn some humility, like by not being put in the best position to show off what you could do. And You're being nice. 
Well, <laughs> I'll put it to you like this. In 2009, I was told I would never work in movies again. No, that, and by the way, I earned that. Have you seen some of that stuff? <laughs> I absolutely, and you're being nice. You weren't set up with the right position. No, I didn't like making movies because I was a young man going from town to town and audiences were berserk. And I could go around the world. I'd, I'd been to Moscow and Tokyo and Delhi and you, you name it, everywhere. And the same thing happens. Music hits, people go nuts. 25 minutes later, I'm like, we're gonna do it again tomorrow night, right? And, and I would. And then I got plucked from that thing that I was gaining fluency in and that I really enjoyed, that energy that I really enjoyed. And I got put in an environment where it's like, we're here for 12 hours and we're gonna do the same conversation for 12 hours. And then we're gonna do it tomorrow for 12 hours. <laughs> and all the while I'm thinking like, ah, the guys are in Boise, I wanna be, be at the show. It was just, it found me at the wrong time in my life. But you say we learn through failure. Boy oh boy, am I grateful for every single time I can, eat, I can do something like this, every single frame I'm involved in, because I was told that I'd never do it again. I was told that I wasted my opportunity, I did, I wasted it. And that was a watershed moment for me in WWE too, when they almost fired me. I got the job by accident, but I kept it through persistence, and then I couldn't connect with you guys. When I started, you guys weren't buying what I was selling. And WWE was gracious enough to be like, we're going to let you go, we'd like you to go on this last tour with us. And that's when, they, that's when I was like, I have nothing to lose, the guys are rapping in the back of the bus, I'm going to join. Because I just kept to myself, and I didn't want to rock the boat. But it's about being vulnerable enough to express a piece of yourself where you can connect and be like, that's my guy, or F that guy. So in both instances, it took me losing the opportunity. And like in 09, when they said, like, you're out, then you circle the wagons, you're like, oh, what can I do? I'll read the news, which I did. I'll host events, which I did. I'll do live audience participation TV shows, which I did. I'll do voiceover work, which I did. And then somebody saw a special and was like, I'd like him to audition for a small role. And I did. Well, that's the key. Because you could have done a decade of like direct-to-DVD shitty action movies. I did. And that's why I got to run out of town. <laughs> you could have done another. I just told you I did. No, but you could have done another decade is what I'm saying. You could have just keep, kept going that route. And instead, when you look at the next section of your career, it's by and large supporting comedic work. And part of that also is finding folks that write, like see more in you maybe than others do. People like Judd Apatow. Sure. And that must be hugely re reinvigorating and rewarding when you're suddenly like, oh wait, like you see more in me than I even saw in myself perhaps? I don't know. Uh, yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of, what's up man? <laughs> you know, he doesn't know how close he was. <laughs> you see that walk and that look? Like, he's up to something. <laughs> I don't know what's up with those cards, but... Uh, you had mentioned that, like, my career is supporting comedic. Yeah. That's also been my career in WWE. I've had my best, most memorable moments when I allow people to be the, their best selves. And yes, there were matches where I had to do five moves and win. Because that's how you establish the concept of Superman. 
there's, there's another guy who's a lot bigger and taller and more aggressive than me that does one move and wins, and his name is Brock Lesnar, and he suplexes people. That's it. <laughs> he does one move, and he wins a lot. <laughs> but then when he loses, it's a really big thing, and he's one who can bring the best out of people. And I just had to get to the point, and I had good guidance to be like, no, just do your things and put your hand in front of your face and win. <laughs> and then it got to the point where I could be a supporter. I could, I could put a US championship out there and say, bring anyone out, and I will showcase their ability. I may win, but you will remember that person, and you'll remember this moment. So I think, you're, I think we're all at our best when we can bring the best out of others. Right. You know, so I just had to find that niche in something else, and I also had to find the same passion. Like, I had the same passion for making movies that it, Literally, in my life now, I feel like it's a Groundhog Day loop. Like, I, this is 2009, right now, where I really have a sweet spot in WWE, and I'm, I, I have opponents that I work well with, and even the ones I don't, we can kind of squeeze out something entertaining, and everybody, you know, the story moves forward, and everything feels good, and like, I still need to be, and I still want to be around people more gifted, where I can be a sponge can't yet be the person that does this. But I love being a sounding board for that great person to just be awesome and, and sit there and just take all the jokes and don't mind being embarrassed and be vulnerable enough to not look the coolest. Uh, Uncle Jacob in Fast is not the coolest, but his journey's cool because I get to be vulnerable. And I let a nine-year-old outshine me. And that's great because the nine-year-old's awesome. And it's a chance for him to be awesome on the big screen, and what a moment for him, you know? So I, I, that's kind of my whole career, is being a supporter, you know? I, I think it's also safe, to, yeah. Being, being an entertainment supporter and an athletic supporter. <laughs> that one dude's worn a jockstrap, that one dude. I think it's also safe to say, look, then, then you, you, you meet the moment when the opportunity comes. And look, we, we've talked before about all the superhero roles that you were up for that didn't work out for various reasons. And thank goodness the right one came and the right supporter came with James Gunn and Peacemaker. Uh, Huzzah! So Suicide Squad, then the Max series, and we're going to get a second season, yes? Uh, I... I... I hope so. Okay. I hope so. Um, I'm, what, I, what I will say is I'm very excited about uh, certainly the new leadership at DC because I love James Gunn as a human being and Peter Safran as well. I have the utmost respect for them as professionals. I've never seen people so prepared and who take it so serious and have so much passion for it and aren't afraid to be themselves. What you will see from DC in the future is the heart of James Gunn. He is not going to leave anything on the table. He will not make a vanilla movie that says movie on the end of it and then serve it to you. He will take chances. He will be brash. He'll do things his way, but you will get authentically his creative mind, which I think is brilliant. So whether the future of DC involves Peacemaker or not, as a fan and as a friend of James, I'm excited for the future of DC. I mean, yeah. This is a guy that did half of his press tour in the Peacemaker costume, so I know you're ready, if called upon. Well, uh, amazingly you say that, I used to do all my interviews in the John Cena costume, because if you didn't know who I was, 
after the interview, you knew who I was. And I took that little nugget of establish the uniform. I'm in an ensemble cast of 30 superheroes in the Suicide Squad. How are you going to know which one's me? Because I'm the guy in the chrome helmet on The Tonight Show. <laughs> like, that's how. So it's just getting, it's using the platform. And once again, that doesn't look cool. That looks stupid. <laughs> but then it looks cool. But it's sometimes tough to tell you know, a performer who doesn't, maybe doesn't want to be identified as just that thing, or maybe has an extensive body of work. I just wanted, like, yo, I'm, I finally get a superhero costume. I don't ever want to take this thing off. <laughs> so I just wanted to get people familiar with it. And that was something that I asked to do. And DC kind of didn't get it at first. <laughs> and then I got to do one Zoom with it on. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, you're wearing it everywhere. <laughs> so no big deal. Um, the time's flying. It's not, a, it's not a unisuit. The right. pants come off. Oh, good. So pooping's easy. <laughs> Thank you. That was going to be my follow-up. Thank yeah. you for jumping right to it. Speak you to it. Um, time's flying by. Some random stuff. Are you still a big gamer? Are you still playing or no? Not really. I uh, am reading books. They <laughs> uh, love literature. They're, they support. So it's not that I can't game. I, I had a run-in with a mobile role-playing game that <laughs> you could have patience and fight your way to victory, or you could pay for advancement. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is cool. And then I saw my first credit card statement. I'm like, throw the phone away! <laughs> no! So I kind of know who I am, and I know who I'm not, and I know all these games now are like incentive-based, and I don't trust myself playing games anymore. So okay. it's, it's passed me by. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, we're going to see you in Barbie. Which I, I hope so. I hope everybody does. Yeah. Not only are we seeing John Cena in Barbie, we're seeing John Cena as a merman? Merman. <laughs> <laughs> um, how does that compare with the Peacemaker outfit? Are you... I, I think both equally ridiculous, but I'd let you be the judge <laughs> of that. I'll definitely let you guys be the judge of that. Uh, an enjoyable experience, though. Greta Gerwig, a genius. Amazing. Yes, and I think in... Uh, man, I, I love opportunities to do that. And again, um, I won't get it twisted. I'm not, you're not going to see me on screen for two hours. Uh, you, might, you might blink and miss it. Uh, and also, I, I, it's not like a hero's role. I definitely don't take myself too serious in this one. <laughs> but it's a chance. Yeah. And it's a chance to do something new. And it's a chance to embrace another side and work with great people. Yeah. So, yeah, sure, I'll do it. There's a fair amount of Star Wars that pops up on your Instagram. You're yeah. a big, big Star Wars guy? Uh, growing up, those were movies that were uh, beautiful. They were imaginative. They told a, a genuine story of good and evil. Like, I loved them. And they were like just fictional enough to be believable. Like you could believe that it's happening somewhere. Right. So as a, as a kid, I loved those movies. Do we need to manifest something? What do you want to play in the I don't, Star Wars? I don't, uh, this is going to sound odd. I don't believe in the manifest thing, man. Really? Yeah, I don't. I, uh, I believe life is, a, is just a, a bunch of moments that you have the control to react to. And I think uh, putting something in your head to say that uh, I believe in myself enough that if this opportunity comes along, I'm going to jump. That's cool. 
but I don't, I don't put myself in a, in a path to try to control the universe. Right. Just be ready. And for try to universe. try to make try to curate the universe. But what I will do is like, want to be a merman? Yep. Want to be a peacemaker? Yep. Want to wear the costume? Yep. <laughs> want to work with a nine-year-old in an El Camino? Yep. I'll do it. <laughs> and that I learned that in WWE. I did everything, everything. Like I was on the road for 15 years, and <clears throat> I loved my time. And it's always why I'm so grateful to the audience. Because what the side you didn't see was my personal life falling apart. I had no connections. I missed funerals. I missed weddings. I missed births. But my choice, I'm not going to say, like, they screwed me out of all that stuff. I got the bug, and I couldn't get enough. I was hoping that the week would switch to eight days so I could do one more show. And I loved it. And you guys became my family for 15 years. My family took a back seat. Thank you. But my family was also supportive. They, they understood, like, nah, this doesn't happen to everybody. Go see how far you could take this. That was cool for like the first five years. They were like, you know your niece is five. Yeah. But go see how far you could take this. You know your niece is going to go into junior high. <laughs> but see how far you can take this. You know she's getting her license. Yeah, whatever. No, they've, it's, they've been great in understanding. And in doing so, it's allowed us to grow together to a point where I'm actually, I really do have the power of invisibility. Uh, I've done so much stupid stuff over the years that I, I feed the meme stream with constant ammunition, which is fun. <laughs> and we can look back on a, a hell of a ride and, and have great conversations now, and people can come up to me and be like, hey man, you were so influential in my childhood because I hated your guts. <laughs> and my response is, oh dude, that's so cool. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. I, was, I, I heard you, probably heard you out there, you know? And I think that's, that's, that's fun. So instead of, tr but I never was like, this is what I'm going to make happen, right? It was just like, yo, you, you want to start here and see what happens? Cool. And now I've built around me a close support system of those I love and care about who literally are like, see how far you can take it. Literally, you guys know. It's going to be like another 20 years. I'm going to stumble back in being like, I'm home. But, uh, they believe in me and they allow me to be myself and they're allowing me to, to take all these opportunities. I'm currently working on a movie in London and the people who I love and support were like, hey, we can get you the opportunity to get the movie to give you a couple days off for you to fly from London to Rome for the premiere, from Rome to New York for press, from New York to London back for another press day and then you gotta go back to work on Wednesday morning. Yep, let's do it. And that's, to some people, like, man, that's exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting, but the wonderful exhausting. One of my, my last moment in the States is kind of having a conversation with you guys, and that's pretty damn cool. <laughs> but I, I didn't manifest that to happen. Somebody gave me that chance. Right. So that, I know that's taken the long way around, but I, don't, I really don't believe in trying to get the universe to bend for you. You know, we are kind of that pale blue dot, and you just got to be ready, what you can control is how you react to situations. Well, again, humility and preparation. There you go, those are the two watchwords there right? I'm taking away. Um, some questions from this wonderful audience. Okay. Yeah, what do you got? So, oh, you got them on the, that's where right the cards here. were. Yeah, no. They vetted your questions. There we go. All right, we're gonna try to rapid fire so maybe we can call in some people out there. Go, go for it. Okay, so Mark wants to know, oh yes, your debut album, 
Uh, you can't see me. Is when my cousin Mark, <laughs> the trademark, was on the debut album? Keep going, keep going. Uh, went platinum. Your debut album, You Can't See Me, of course, went platinum and was the first album I bought on iTunes. Any plans on a second album? So no. <laughs> no, that was, that was lightning in a bottle, and I'm, I'm very proud of that project. I really am. But uh, I think that chapter of my life is closed, and I'm, I'm grateful for it, and I'm kind of kind of moving forward with other stuff. And then you had the distinction. You're like, oh, I will always have that, I'll be, that one album. You can't tarnish it. Wait one second. <clears throat> Want you guys to drink this in? Because this is what a platinum rapper looks like. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ugh. In the city that birthed rap music. <laughs> So many ears. Of, what happened? What happened? This is burning. <laughs> uh, this is from Brooks, 11 years old in the crowd. Thanks for coming, Brooks. Um, were you ever hurt so bad in a match that you could not continue? Actually, I've been hurt pretty bad in matches, but never to the point of having to stop. I should have stopped many times. I was wearing my nose in the wrong place on my face. <laughs> uh, my chest fell apart. I had uh, an elbow the size of a watermelon. Uh, but it's weird, like... Uh, we, us as performers, we love you guys, and the show must go on, and that's embedded in us uh, because we just want to make sure you guys have a good time. So there was plenty of times that I should have just been like, I'm not going out tonight, but I never once did that. Yeah. yeah. Um, according to Vin, there are apparently at least two more Fast movies now. Pick two current or former WWE su uh, superstars you'd want to add to the family? Well, Roman kind of had a thing in Hobbs and Shaw, so he's like loosely connected. Right. So we could, we could get him back. And I say Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, what, what's Hobbs doing these days? You, you wanted the one guy who wanted to see the, the third one. I mean, we can do it on the screen. <laughs> we can just have the stunt doubles fight it out and figure it out. I think that'd work. So uh, those are the, those, I know those are the two that are connected to the universe. Okay. Um, who was your biggest supporter during your transition from wrestling to acting, and what was the best piece of advice you received? That's from Daniel. Uh, biggest supporter. Uh, Dan Bame is in the crowd, and he has been with me for uh, almost two decades now, and he was in that run when I was doing all those bad movies that were produced by WWE, and he was representing me to Hollywood, but Hollywood wouldn't talk to him because I was doing movies, bad ones, with WWE, and then wrestling full, a full schedule, so I didn't have any availability. So he kind of hung in there with me for a lot of years when the phone didn't ring, and he couldn't be happier when the phone started to ring. And um, it's because of that time, I think, that we forged our friendship. I call him my uh, non-romantic life partner because uh, we, we love each other and we really lean on each other a lot. And um, I would say he certainly had supported me the most in that transition. Uh, now, the, my close circle of folks that I love, everyone's very supportive. What's the best advice I ever got? Before, I would give a knee-jerk reaction answer to say, show up early and outwork everybody else. And that was given to me by, by Vince McMahon. And that's great advice. But I got to meet and receive a card, a deck of cards from J.J. Abrams. And I asked him, because here's a guy who's seen it all and done it all. I asked him, what's the best piece of advice you ever got? 
And he was about ready to give me a knee-jerk response. He said, no, I, got, I take that back. It was from my wife, and it was be authentic. Be yourself and be brave enough to do that. And I told him I'm going to steal it. I didn't steal it because I put him in my bibliography. I just gave him credit for it. <laughs> but the best, piece I've ever, the best piece of advice I've ever been given is by J.J. Abrams telling me to be authentic and don't be afraid to be yourself because yourself is enough. Love it. On a much different note, what was the most rewarding feud you ever had the opportunity to participate in during your career? Um, I did a unique uh, piece of programming called the Firefly Funhouse Match. Uh, which was an, uh, like a giant exercise in vulnerability. Um, I, I worked my ass off on that thing, and I thank everyone who was involved, because no one does it alone, but it was kind of my brainchild and my creation, and uh, I really wanted, you want to talk about like looking in the mirror, that was kind of like a public look in the mirror, and uh, I, I'm, I'm glad we did it, and man, I'm glad it worked. I didn't think anybody would get it, and I kindly, kind of did it for me because the pandemic happened and the events were weird. But I'm really glad that like people understood it, and uh, there's a lot of Easter eggs in there too. If you don't, if you don't know, you can go back and watch it. There's, there's that. I got to be in the NWO, uh, but no, that's that's that and that one and being a fan for WrestleMania, and then jumping over the barricade and getting my ass kicked by the Undertaker was a pretty good one too. Yes. Um, you've said, this is from LB, uh, you've said that you don't consider yourself a star athlete but train to get the moves right. So could you train Josh to be a pro wrestler? Yes, absolutely. You have everything have it the takes. the raw material? Yes, you do. This might be the greatest challenge of your life, John. No, not at all. Okay. You're comfortable in front of an audience, you are vulnerable, and you can connect with people. When do we get to my amazing body? When do we get, start to get, go there? I got a long list. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, John, what does family mean to you? Uh, so I think it's two-pronged. I think we're, we're born into a bloodline, and that's beyond our choosing. And with that bloodline comes traditional responsibilities, and that's the traditional definition of family. But as I've uh, had the chance to experience a few sunrises, my family are those over the course of time that I've chosen to love and that they've chosen to love me back. And that, that, to me, is, is my current definition of family. So we've been talking a lot about different chapters in this life and career. Um, someone in our audience wants to know, what's your next chapter after Hollywood? I mean, again, you talked about kind of like meeting the moment as it comes to yeah, you. Yeah, I don't manifesting. know. I don't know. But what I do know, what I am realistic about, is this will end. Everything ends. Like, you cannot hold on forever and be gracious enough to understand that it ends and don't make choices outside your value system to hold on to it when it's time to go. When, it, when he says it's time to go, sashay out there and go on to the next thing because I don't know when it's gonna end, I have perspective that it will end and I'm just, it makes me extra grateful for the moments I do have rather than hoping for what the next one is. We're gonna, yeah. We're gonna end with the happy, sad, confused for family random questionnaire. Oh, wow, okay. Here we go. John, what's the wallpaper on your phone? Uh, it's a painting that's very near and dear to my heart. Okay. 
Um, who's the last person you were mistaken for? Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you correct them, or did you? I don't know what happened after that. <laughs> that's Mark Wahlberg right now. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> sorry, Mark, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, John, Cena, are there aliens? Do aliens exist? Man, I just made the reference of like the pale blue dot and the more we learn about existence out there. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know, but it's, it, would, it would be irrational for me to think that this is the only rock that has the perfect climate to provide some sort of existence. Yeah. But then again, who knows? That's, that's why, I don't know, just be grateful for what you got. But I, I'm not sure, I don't know. You're maybe too nice a guy to answer this, but what's the worst note a director has ever given you? Um, something that has to do with unpreparedness. Yes, because I've, I've worked with many gifted folks, but I've also worked with folks who may or may not have uh, squandered opportunity and um, advice that reeks of unpreparedness, like just words to stall to cover their own unpreparedness. It seems like you know, you're know you very grounded in the best possible way and you appreciate your position in life and career. Is there like a, a celebrity that when you get a text from, it, it tickles your heart. You're like, oh my God, I know this person. This person is in my life. I can't believe I'm living this life. Yeah, oh, that was easy, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the show is called Happy, Sad, Confused, an actor that always makes you happy. Well, I love uh, Sandler, Will Ferrell, uh, guys who, whose passion it is to make you smile and laugh, all the, like, all comedians make me happy. Uh, what movie makes you sad? Man, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. And finally, most important question of the night, what food makes you confused? <laughs> you know, the low-hanging fruit, pun intended here, is pineapple pizza. Right. I gotta tell you, Ben, I don't get ramen noodles. Yeah. Hey, yo. Gas we had to put a little audience. spice in this thing tonight. That's fine. <laughs> Allow me to bestow upon you my perspective. When I was a boy, ramen noodles used to come in them packets, right? And they were like 22 for a buck. And they were great, but they were like 22 for a buck. <laughs> like I could afford them as a child. What I don't get about ramen is now you go into a ramen place, it's not 22 servings for a dollar. <laughs> so I, I just don't see where, what happened. <laughs> I just don't see that. Right. I know it's not a supply chain thing, because <laughs> they're still everywhere. So I just don't know when it became like a, like a lobster tail. Or when it became like a filet mignon. I just, I don't, but I, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it ain't good. I just, I have a moment in my childhood that's burned into my head, and I just don't get where we are now and how we got here. That's all. The, the ramen conglomerate is playing us. They, it's clear. I, no, hey, it's a good racket if you can get it. Right, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I fake fight for a living, bro. <laughs> it's the best job in the world. 
John Cena's ramen noodles coming to you soon. Um, <laughs> uh, this has been such a special experience. I mean, you, look, you, you're, you're the real deal, man. You're so exceptionally talented, and, and, and again. Before we do with the compliment fest, what do you, how much time do we have? We got as much as you want. We're okay, cool. Let's take some questions from the crowd. Who's up there? Uh, front row, go. So you're going to be rock steady in the new Ninja Turtles movie. Damn right I am. <laughs> so, so former, sorry, fellow WWE superstar Sheamus was rock steady in the last Ninja Turtles movie. Have you spoken to him? Did you guys compare notes, exchange experience? We did in-depth character study. <laughs> he kept telling me Irish accent, Irish accent. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. So we, we had uh, creative differences. Next, yes. Legendary or the reunion, which would you watch again? <laughs> I want to say, how much do I owe you for watching those? <laughs> Next, yes. The, right? the power of dreams. <laughs> yes. Um, what you see on screen is, is, is a lot of their personality. I, um, just like WWE, like what you see on screen is a lot of me. I'm very persistent, I'm very loyal, I enjoy hard work, but that doesn't define me totally. Fast is the same, especially in 10 movies deep, like with the original six, they can't help but be themselves. So a lot of what you see is who they are, but not them in totality, they're deeper than that. But you get an intimate connection. Right behind, yes. Oh. What gives you personal joy, and what do you value most in the world? Uh, personal joy, that's a great question. Um, knowing that I'm worthy of love and being able to receive it every day. Uh, what was the second part of that question? What do you value most in the world? A perspective that life is a gift each day to try to do my best and I'm not perfect at it. I have bad days where I'm a POS and I'm grumpy and I'm, I'm short and, uh, but I try to continuously have the perspective that every day above ground is a gift and try to earn. Oh no, it's a three, <laughs> three parter. Go on, go on, go for it. Well, what would be the best advice you would give somebody? The best advice I've ever heard. I think it's uh, know that you're worthy of love, whatever, whatever is preventing you from that, know that and know that who you're looking at in the mirror is good enough. And if you don't feel that way when you look in the mirror, start today to work to take the steps to try to fix that. Uh, who else? Yes. If given the opportunity, will you ever run for president of the United States? <laughs> Can I curse? Can I yes. curse something? Announce it, John. We're ready. I, I don't. Are there any kids in the crowd? Hear them up. Yeah, I see one kid. So no. Uh, the the answer is just simply no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't know if you saw my foreign policy exchange. I'm not built for politics. <laughs> yes. My daughter Leah's birthday is tomorrow, and uh, we bonded over WWE of all things during the COVID lockdown when I was like trying to catch up on what's new. She fell in love with Charlotte, then she fell in love with you, and she wanted me to tell you thank you for making me laugh and now making her laugh. And also she wants to find out who's your favorite female wrestler. Ooh, uh, so man, there are so many good ones now. Um, well, like I said, there's so many good ones. I, I, do, I do like um, the legacy that Charlotte is uh, creating for herself. Uh, I know Ric Flair had said something about if she were to win a 17th championship, we should be there both to shake her hand. 
and I got to see Rick uh, recently and tell him that if that happens, we will both be there because I think that's tremendous. I'm not, I'm not shortchanging anybody else, but just because uh, I know and love Rick and I admire what Charlotte's done, that's my connection to that moment, so that's why I gotta say her. Uh, yes, right there in the middle. Um, this past one at WrestleMania was pretty cool, only because it redefined the experience. Being able to meet a bunch of families beforehand and hang out at WrestleMania in this huge stadium and then allowing these people to have a WrestleMania entrance, which a lot of the performers don't get. Like, there's only so many performers on the show. So a lot of performers don't see that perspective. And getting those kids, even if they were fans of me or not, to be able to come out of the tunnel and see the madness, the, the indescribable energy that, that I so, try, so much try to share with you. That was, that was pretty special. Front row. Did you ever like to consider um, directing a film? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I also said I never wanted to be in movies again. So right now, no. I still got a, I still got a lot to learn about my role as a performer. And um, I, I, I really, really try to, to work with good directors and try to really uh, surround myself with great people, but I've seen them and what they manage, and I don't want that thunder at all. <laughs> yes? Describe your vision of the perfect day. Whew. Uh, one where I wake up motivated and fall asleep exhausted knowing that I earned it. Yes? When you look back at your career and you think about all the feuds that you've had and the stories that you've told, is there one that stands out that you wish would have had a different outcome? Uh, just something that the audience wasn't happy with. Like, and there's been money of those. I, I bombed a bunch out there. You know, you, you give your physical well-being to somebody and you hope they understand what you're talking about and sometimes they don't. And those are, those are the ones that, man, if I only had it again, like the, uh, the ruthless aggression thing. What a, what a golden key I was given. I was given a personality and two words and I totally missed on that one. I would love to have that one back because I think I could make something of it today. Right over here, yes. I remember when you uh, finished the big show at WrestleMania. Yeah, um, let's not take that out of context. <laughs> so everybody is excited in WrestleMania, and we all are kind of wearing our underwear, but what he's talking about is I defeated him in a match. <laughs> Continue. What's your favorite memory with the big show? Uh, <laughs> According to your fan fiction, <laughs> It's a very intimate one. Uh, just the moments that he would open up as a human being. He's a kind and gentle giving giant and he was very much responsible. He was one of the few supporters of me when no one else would, would bet on me. And uh, we've had great conversation over the years and that, those are some of my favorite moments when you get to talk to Paul. So, uh, yes, right there. What's a funny memory you have from making the Fred movie? Living in a refrigerator. <laughs> uh, never take yourself too seriously. In full John Cena garb, 16-time WWE champion, I lived in a refrigerator. And that was, um, what, a, what a better example of like, hey, don't take yourself too seriously. and Don't be afraid to, to try stuff that, you know, it might, you might be the butt of the joke. Uh, anybody else? Yes, right here. Yes. With so many celebrities uh, coming into the WWE, what, what chance could you get Jason Momoa versus John Cena? <laughs> Whew, uh, that is above my pay grade. Um, I, everybody thinks I have this mysterious pull. <laughs> it doesn't exist. The people who own these companies, they have the real pull. 
And I just told the story about like how once I tried to go into business for myself and it almost ruined a relationship. <laughs> I have learned from that to not make those choices and not try to exhibit this pull because the pull ends up hurting people's feelings. So if it happens, I'd be all for it, but it's, it's beyond my reach. It's beyond my reach. Let's get somebody over here. Hold on. Yeah, all right, yes. Okay, the answer to that is always the same. In a few years, it's going to change. I can actually look and pick one. But my answer is always the same. What opponent is my favorite? It's the next one. <laughs> yes. John, just want to say thanks, man. Man in my mid-30s. It wasn't quite your demo growing up, but I want to say thank you for everything that you did do for this kids. This is that moment. This How that hard moment. you played. <laughs> <laughs> your work ethic. Thank you. All right, cool. That's... That is like, you might as well have said, with all due respect. That's one of those, thank you, man. That was awesome. I hated you so bad. But thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, a few more. A few more right dead center, right in the middle. Tie-dye. Oh, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite thing about New York City? So, I used to hate this place. <laughs> Again, allow me to bestow some perspective. I'm from West Newbury, Massachusetts. <laughs> the population of West Newbury is 2,000 people. You have more people in a high rise than I did my whole town. So the first time I came to New York, I was all crazed by the traffic and you can't park anywhere at Madison Square Garden and it's tough to get in and everything costs so much, it's tough to get out, but it's the garden. And then when you get to the garden, it's amazing. And then I became okay with like, hey, try new things. And there's a reason this is the center of the earth. And there's a reason like if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. What I love is the people. I love the people of New York. It's the one, the one city where I can leave my hotel and keep moving and nobody stops me. Because everybody's just doing this the same thing. <laughs> and they're motivated and they're going on to their next thing because they're trying to make it here. Because if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. I love the passion and I love the diversity of the people. This is a melting pot, man. <laughs> two more, two more. Right back there, this hand, yes. Oh, man. My question is, you got a four-and-a-half-star match against AJ Styles. Would you come back in the ring to get that five-star classic against him? So, uh, how do I put this? I am much more concerned uh, when I perform for WWE in how the audience as a whole feels about my performance rather than one individual trying to grade me in the level of stars. Yeah. Not, that, not that that doesn't matter, because that is a great way for those to, get, to try to get equity and try to get noticed. It's a great ranking system, and I, I really do appreciate it. And that's, I'm not knocking critics. I'm just saying my process is to make sure that everybody who paid a ticket had a good night. And if that gets me a zero-star match, I still know in my heart of hearts that I entertained my audience that night. One more, one more, right here. Do you ever see yourself being a father after movies? Do I ever see myself being a father after movies? Well, that's a, what a great question to end on. Uh, there's been nothing so far in my life that has prepared me for that responsibility. And I don't think the way I live my life, I would do justice to bring another person in the world. I have great perspective of what that commitment is. 
I have just learned in my 40s to love myself. And in loving myself, I have learned to love my wife. And I've learned to be a husband and realize that it's a team. And I'm splitting atoms to try to keep that team together. <laughs> and to put another person in that equation, I don't think it would be fair to me. I don't think it would be fair to the person. And I don't think it would be fair to my wife. So as of the current moment, there's no way I can, I can add that in the equation. That's a, that's a great question. But I do want to end on one more. Yes? That's cool, man. That's cool. Since you're an actor now, what type of work or of advice would you give an upcoming <coughs> independent actor or newcomer in this business? If I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> That's a good one, anyway. You've tried to stop me from complimenting you, but I have to, on behalf of this crowd, say uh, you're amazing, Mr. John oh, Cena. Man. The humility, the wisdom, the wit of John Cena. Fast X. This Friday, check it out, everybody. Yeah, go John see the movie so we can do this again. Go see the movie! See the movie! Thank you. <laughs> and so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>